Coming up on the Branding Deep Dive podcast. No, it makes such a big difference. When I can put out specifically videos, videos are the best way to promote your product 100%. Pictures are great. It's great to just make a pretty, you know, cover for your page. But the videos are what get people hooked on. Because once they click on that one reel on your page and they scroll up, it's going to scroll them through all of your videos that you have. This is Ahmed Chima and welcome to the Branding Deep Dive podcast. If you're new here, this is a podcast where we have in-depth discussions about what brands are doing well to drive customer loyalty and how you can take those principles and apply them to your own brand. Today, we're talking to Amani Mahaisen. Amani is the creative behind Not Your Basic Batch in Canton, Michigan. If you're looking for awesome pastries, Amani has everything that you're looking for. She has mouth-watering custom pastries that you can't get in your local supermarket. My five personal favorites are Kanafa Danishes, S'mores Croissants, Turkey Habanero Croissants, Oreo Biscoff Cinnamon Rolls, and Pumpkin Spice Trace Leches. I'm going to spare you her full menu in case you're on a diet. In this episode, we dive deep into how Not Your Basic Batch was started, using social media to grow your business, the impact of collaborations, and much more. If you have a product or business that is in the direct-to-consumer space, this episode is a must-listen. Now, here's Amani Mahaisen. All right, Amani, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. For the audience that may not be familiar with who you are and what you do, can you give them a brief introduction? Yeah. Hi, Ahmed. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Amani Mahaisen. I am the owner of Not Your Basic Batch Pastries. Um, I started this small little micro bakery about a year ago in the basement of my home, and it's now grown into a business that is bigger than I can handle on my own. And, you know, trying to branch out and trying to learn about the business field has been uh, a great experience. You know, being an entre- entrepreneur, um, being my own boss is very different than anything I've ever done in the past. Um, that being said, my background is a medical history. I did major in bio and chem back in college. I have my undergrad in both of those. Um, and then furthered my education and got my master's in epidemiology from right. Western Michigan University. So you did bio and chem for undergrad, did your master's yeah. in epidemiology, uh, and now you are running a bakery. Yes. How did, how did that transition happen? So I was finishing up my master's degree. And the reason why I went into epidemiology is because I wanted to travel with my degree. I wanted to travel to um, where, you know, the diseases were originating and do hands-on research and development in these third world countries. And in my last semester of my master's, I was offered a job to do an eight-month research program. Um, where I would go to Ghana, South Africa, Peru, Nepal, and Thailand to do research and development in these third world countries. And I didn't get my medical clearance for the trip, so I was not allowed to go. Mm. And two weeks later, when we were supposed to be in Ghana, I ended up in the hospital with appendicitis. So, I mean, you know, fortunately, I was not in Ghana, but um, it was it was a hard hit to you know miss that opportunity to miss such a a crazy experience. Um, and so that kind of set me back a little. It made me rethink what I want to do because I did not want to spend my time in the lab doing research. So I taught for a semester 
and was supposed to start medical school the following fall. And I decided to drop my seat and work in a bakery as a dough mixer. And that's all I did was mix dough for eight to 10 hours of my day. And uh, got all the support I wanted from my family. <laughs> so how did you... Well, how did you decide, like, was that a conscious decision to go to the bakery and be a dough maker? Did you know you wanted so, to do that? I knew I didn't want to go into medical school. It was always an iffy back and forth decision for me. Every time, you know, I was prepared to start it or even, uh, you know, um, the thought of even applying is a process. And I had my mind set on it for a while. I thought it's what I wanted to do, but I was just so unhappy the whole last semester of my master's. And I really just could not do any more school. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was not for me. It wasn't in me. And I just wanted to bake. And so I started working in the bakery. And after a year, I went overseas for what was supposed to be two weeks and was there for three months because of COVID. Mm. Every time I booked a flight to come home, it was canceled. So when I got back to the States, finally, I lost my job at the bakery. And that's when I decided to open up my own little bakery. And I started Not Your Basic Batch. <laughs> now, I want to get into Not Your Basic Batch in a second. But before we get into that, yeah. so is, basic, is baking something that you've always been into? Uh, like on yeah. the side? Okay. Yeah. So throughout high school, I would bake on the side, you know, here and there for my family and for our events. And then in college, I took it a little more seriously throughout my undergrad. And I started getting fairly big with cakes. And I started actually baking for a lot of the Lions players. And uh, I got really into, you know, um, the den, I guess they would call it, uh, getting some really big clients. And then I just got very busy with my master's and I couldn't handle doing the small business on the side. So I shut that down, focused on school. And, you know, once I finished school, it just, I went back to it. Got it. So not your basic batch is not your first go at this. So you had no. a cake I business. I had a small one. Yeah. While yeah, you were in college. Mammy Bakes. <laughs> Mammy Bakes? What's How did yeah. you come up with that name? My younger brother couldn't say my name growing up. He used to call me Mammy. So I just <laughs> threw it in the name and I was like, Mammy Bakes. <laughs> awesome. All right. So now let's get back to not your basic batch. If I'm getting this right, mm-hmm. you're saying that uh, you didn't want to go to med school. So you decided mm-hmm. to uh, get a job at the, at this bakery and you traveled for a little bit. And since COVID hit, uh, your flight kept getting delayed. And since it took so long to get back, you lost your job at the bakery in the meantime. And so that's when you decide, screw it. I'm going to do this on my own. Yeah. I was trying to find a job. Honestly, after, after I lost my job at the bakery, I was like, okay, you know, if I can't find another bakery job, since this huge epidemic happened, let me try and find a job with my degree. And by the time I got back to the States, no one was hiring anymore. I -hmm. had a job that was so in demand and a degree that could have been used. But unfortunately, I just, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting you you bring that up. And uh, thank you for sharing that. You know, they say that necessity is the mother of all innovation, right? So, Mm A lot of times you see this in the stories of uh, people that do start their businesses. It's like, I didn't have any yeah. other options, right? I had to, had to figure something out. Right? Yeah. So, so you, you decided you got to do your own thing. How did you come up with the yeah. name? That's kind of the first thing that uh, I think is <laughs> sticks out. <when> you... <laughs> so I was like, if I'm going to do a, 
a bakery from home. I don't want to go back to doing what everyone else is doing. You can get cakes, cupcakes, cake pops from anywhere. I don't want them to get something you can get anywhere. It really has to be something different, something unique. And so I was playing around with some names, just, you know, scrolling through Pinterest, scrolling through Instagram, just trying to get some inspiration. And I came across something that said basic batch. And I was like, I like that name. I was like, but I don't like the basic part. I'm I'm not going to do anything basic. So I was like, you know what? I'm not basic. And so I was like, I'm not a basic batch. And I thought it was so funny. So I decided to throw it into the name. And I said, not your basic batch. I'm like, anything I make is not going to be a basic batch of pastries. It's going to be elevated in some way, whether it's the quality of ingredients, the type of ingredients I use, you know, anything that goes into it. The process is extremely, you know, time consuming and labor intensive. But uh, yeah, that's how I came up with the name. I was like, I'm not doing anything basic. I'm not basic. So let's run with it. Let's see how it goes. So I changed my name to just basic batch at first. And uh-huh. I got some people messaging me laughing like crazy at the name. They're like, I love this. This is so catchy. And I was like, okay, now let's just switch it up. Let's call it not your basic batch. And it just, mm-hmm. it stuck. It was a win. <laughs> I think there's a really important lesson here for the audience is that, you know, they say that um, good artists borrow, great artists steal. So Amani was searching on Instagram, Pinterest. She saw an idea that she liked and she ran with it, right? So uh, yeah. <laughs> don't like, don't be afraid to look for inspiration and, and take it and put your own spin on it. So I'm not, not endorsing copying definitely. things, but definitely put your own spin on it. So yeah. now you have this, not your basic batch. I'm assuming you started, how did you start? Like, I think that the toughest part for me when I'm mm-hmm. talking to small business owners is like, how do you get your first 10 customers, hundred customers? And like, how do you get that off the ground? Right. You have this idea, you have something yeah. you want to do. How did you approach getting your first 10, first hundred customers? Honestly, like building clientele is the hardest part of building any business, any business, whether you're in the food industry or whatever other industry, like it really is a long and excruciating process, but you just have to be patient and you have to be consistent. So what I did is I started with a small group of friends and family and I just handed them out to them, you know? And I was like, these are some pastries that I just started experimenting with. Um, Let me know what you think of it. You know, if you could post it and share it, that would be great. Um, And so they did. And I got a few messages back asking if they could try the pastries. And so I put up a small little order form and received maybe five or six orders from my first one. I was like, okay, that's cool. I went from having zero customers to having six within a week. That's progress. Um, And, you know, it was just word of mouth from there. And then I put up my page on Instagram. And really, Instagram is the only page that I'm really consistent on. And I'm still not the most consistent person on social media. Um, And it's just because there's so much work to do behind the scenes that I don't always have the time to just stop and post or take a picture or create content. But 
those first few customers that you make are really going to build the foundation of your business because they're the ones that are going to be giving it to the next person or recommending you to a friend or, you know, telling someone for their wedding rather than going to, uh, for example, caterers will go to Costco and get those giant boxes of cheesecake and just put them on plates, you know, support someone local. Local businesses, supporting small businesses is like the new trend. Everyone wants to do it. So as long as you have a product that you can back up and stand behind and be proud of, your clients will come. Clients will come. Yeah, I think the the really important piece here is that you started with the freebies and then they yeah. shared it, right? Yeah. So, and you know, of- that's something that I still hang on to. Every week when I do any type of sales, my goal is to try to put one item that they didn't order off of the menu. I try my hardest each week to do it. Most of the time they get two or three items that they didn't order, just extra. And uh, it's so that they can expand, you know, their palate and try something out of their comfort zone. So you're saying that like if I order uh, a dozen, uh, I don't know the pastries <laughs> names, but like it, let's, let's say I order a dozen of one type of pastry, you throw in uh-huh. one or two uh, extras just so people get that uh, extra taste. Yeah. Yeah. On the That's days all- that I can, I really try hard to. That's another really important lesson is that, um, you know, under promising and over delivering, making sure that mm-hmm. you're surprising and delighting, right? That is yeah. a recipe for word of mouth, right? Like I yeah. asked for 12 of this type and I got an extra one or two. It makes you mm-hmm. feel like, oh, Amani really cares about me and really is yeah, it does. You know, going on her way. When I used to go to bakeries and they would just give me one free sample as I was either going to check out or pay or whatever, maybe even if I was waiting in line that would make all the difference to me. You know, that would make me think the next time I want to go get pastries, I'm going to go here because I know that they're going to be, you know, most likely to give me a little sample while I'm waiting or whatever. Maybe they just have good customer service skills and uh, it brings people back. That little bit of kindness really makes a difference. Hmm. When you are in this stage and you're convincing people to instead of going from Costco, going with not your basic batch, is there a certain like is there certain messaging that you use to convince people, or is there is it yeah because it, it's, kind of just... it's definitely very challenging competing with you know Costco or Sam's Club because I sell my croissants probably one croissant for the price that they would sell six at you know but they're also not making it by hand the way I am. They're probably not taking three days to make their product like I am. And they're not one person running a business like I am, you know? Um, I'm fortunate enough now to have help. I've had help for the last two months after a year of being on my own um, and like having help come in and out here and there. Um, But to have consistent help daily, like, it's made a difference, but competing with Costco, competing with Sam's Club, competing with Meyer, trying to convince your clients to come to you instead, you got to sell your product. You got to believe in what you have and you got to give free samples. It's the only mm. way. And if they like your samples enough, they'll come by. They'll want to support the small business. And I say it very confidently because it's happened. I've stolen clients from Costco and it's the biggest like reward. It's such a great feeling to know that all the time and energy and effort that you're putting into one small product um, versus like this giant corporation. And this person is willing to trust you rather than them knowing that they can get a consistent product from that corporation, Mm. you know, than a small business, small businesses are still learning. 
there's definitely going to be some mistakes along the way. They're my products. I can say now, you know, are not always consistent. It's different every time because they're handmade versus factory made. So it's, it's really something to think about when you start going after these bigger corporate company clients, your generosity speaks. <laughs> I, I think people get it when it comes to food, right? Like, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you see when you go to Costco, for example, I know we're talking about Costco a lot here, but, um, you know, they have free samples and then, you know, you, you buy that stuff. And I think when it like Baskin Robbins, they'll give you a free sample yeah. of the ice cream. I think people understand it when it comes to food, but this is a principle that you can apply to whatever line of business you're in. It's like, Hey, let people taste it. Let people, you know, give them a taste of whatever your product yeah. is. And you if it's good enough. You want to know what the little slogan is? What people love, they love to try before they buy Ooh, that's a good Your one. Favorite thing to do is try before they buy. Let, let me ask you this: When did you start not your basic batch? What, what was um, the? I uh... started it October of 2020. It's been a year. Okay, so it's so, been a little bit over a year. A little so, over a year. And I know I did stop my company or not company, but the business about a month in. I took almost two months off. My grandma got sick and she passed away from COVID. Um, but within that time, I really had to think about how I was going to, you know, proceed with my brand, how I wanted to, cause you know, I, I had my brand going for a month. I had sales going for a month and then I was planning November, December, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas sales, things happened, had to put that on hold. And I was, you know, looking at my media, looking at social media specifically, and thinking this is where I need to grow in order to build more clientele. That's a good transition because that's what I was going to ask you about, right? So yeah, um, social media wise, mm-hmm. I know on TikTok, you guys have had, or you, I'm saying you guys, <laughs> but um, pretty pretty rapid uh, growth there. And then I know on Instagram yeah. as well, right? So yeah. uh, what I'm really curious to know is number one, how much effort went into it before you actually started seeing results? Because I think a lot of people think it's like instant. And then the second thing is, are like, how much is there a impact to the bottom line that you're seeing on your business or was it more just awareness? So social media is something that you really need to dedicate time to. And it's something I'm not used to growing up. I never had social media. My parents were not fans, honestly, still aren't really fans of it, but it's the new way to really promote yourself. It's a new way to get in contact with people. It's a new way to learn how, you know, to run your business. It's the new way to learn what the demographic and your clientele want. Um, it's very, very useful. And if you're consistent on it, you'll have exponential growth. If you're inconsistent, you're going to have inconsistent growth. So with TikTok, I was on it for maybe... I want to say three or four months on my own before I had someone from high school come in and help me with it. Um, I think, you know, her, she was actually (laughs) your sister. (laughs) Um, She came in and she's like, you need to post way more on TikTok. And I was like, I don't like TikTok. I don't get TikTok. I still don't get TikTok. And if you look at it, you'll see how inconsistent my posting is. But if you consistently post, you'll have one video that just hits goes viral and your account just exponentially grows overnight. Like I went from having 5,000 followers 
to having 15,000 after one video. So 10,000 followers overnight. I thought that was insane. Um, I was maybe getting 100 to 200 followers every week. So, I mean, if you want the growth on social media, that's all you got to do. You got to be consistent with your posts. I can't really give much more advice on that because I'm not on the app too much. Um, I'm more familiar with Instagram. Instagram is the same way. You got to post, you got to keep your content clean. You have to have content people want to look at. Content that's going to make someone look at your picture and click on your page and go to your account, you know, interact with your page, scroll through your content, share with their friends. That's your goal on social media is just getting your name out there, getting people to see your content. You know, you got to make your content worth it too. You don't want to post something no one wants to look at or something unappetizing since, you know, I'm in the food industry. I can't just make anything. And, you know, let's say the bottoms come out scorched and be like, okay, well, maybe I can just hide it. No, there's no hiding it. The people can see everything. So you just really got to be consistent and you got to have content people want people want to look at. It has to be appealing. Yeah, especially, I think you highlighted this, especially in the food industry, like mm -hmm. the more appealing it is to people to look at, it's yeah. not just something that, you know, gets their eyes attracted, but it also starts getting people salivating, right? So yeah, there's a bunch of And another thing in. I learned being a small business owner and having such a small following count to start with, people want to know the person behind the small business. And mm -hmm. it took me a long time to really just, put my face on my page and get comfortable with myself in my videos. But what I learned is from me just showing my pastries to me taking a bite out of my pastries and my videos on my page, my sales and my following count have maybe doubled or tripled within a month of me just adding that one little clip or that one little, you know, picture, whatever it may have been. Um, but peace, people want to be personal with you. People want to get to know you and get to know your brand. So I think that's also very important. And I know not everyone's comfortable with putting their, themselves out there, but even doing voiceovers, you know, just letting them know that there's someone behind the screen. I don't know what it is about it, but people just feel more, I guess, drawn to it. Mm -hmm. No, I definitely, even in, in my stuff, sometimes I'll post like clips of other people from like the podcast mm -hmm. and I won't have myself in it or like I'll be in at the end. And like those clips do like way worse than when I'm like in there right at the beginning. Yeah. It's just like, you know, the people, they, they see me, they recognize me. They're like, Oh, this is Chima. Let me just hit like yeah. just to support. I don't even think they, they watch it to be honest, but um, yeah, I definitely see that having your face on there and having your personal brand attached to it really helps. And I think if you look mm -hmm. at, uh, I mean, today in the startup world, right, having a influential personal brand as the CEO of your company really goes a long way, right? You can look at like Elon Musk, yeah. right? They don't even need, Tesla doesn't need a marketing department. They just have Elon Musk Twitter, right? So yeah. it's a, that's really can go a long way if you invest in, in that personal brand. Um, yeah, for sure. I did want to ask, so, mm -hmm. you know, all this effort you're putting into social media, um, I know it helps with the awareness and people understand and people are coming to your page and your following count is increasing, but does that actually increase the number of sales you're getting or uh, oh, does yeah. it not really? Yeah. No, it makes such a big difference when I can put out specifically videos, videos are the best way 
to promote your product 100%. Pictures are great. It's great to just make a pretty, you know, cover for your page. But the videos are what get people hooked on. Because once they click on that one reel on your page and they scroll up, it's going to scroll them through all of your videos that you have, you know? So that's going to, you know, draw them into your page and keep them on longer versus just scrolling through pictures and them getting bored and swiping out of your page. And so let's say I have a week of sales coming up and I put up my order form. If I go the whole week without posting a video or content or a picture of what's on my menu, I'll get a few orders here and there from people who have ordered before, people who are familiar with my product. I have those clients that are consistent week to week, month to month that'll order off of each menu. Mm -hmm. But the customers that have no clue what my pastries try or taste like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, people that have no clue what my pastries taste like will read the menu and be like, this sounds so unfamiliar. This sounds foreign. What does it look like? I wonder how it tastes, you know? what goes into it. When I record my videos, I show the steps of it going from a raw piece of dough to the final baked pastry. Mm. And then at the end of that video, I take a bite out of the pastry. And uh, watching someone eat their own product, well, I don't know if it's, it it might just be my opinion, but it definitely makes you want to try their product. Like if I see someone eating their own product, I'm more inclined to try their product. If they're not willing to eat it, I don't think I'm willing to eat it. Yeah. So you're saying that when you post, so every so often you have like a flyer that comes out with your menu, right? Yeah. And so when you post videos to go with the menu and and show the product, then your sales are noticeably different. Yeah. Okay. It's very different. Yeah. I'll maybe triple the sales that we, if I just post two or three videos from that menu like right now i have my thanksgiving order form up i posted one video and that pastry sold out completely Mm. just that one pastry that i posted and i haven't had time to finish even editing the rest of my content or the rest of my videos and i ended up having to turn my order forms off i wasn't supposed to until tuesday but you know like i said one video did that if I didn't post mm. any content after I had posted my menu, I could probably have kept my order forms open and taken a few more, but it just boosted the traffic to my page. And then they ask how they order. I have the link in my bio. It's very simple to click on it. it takes you to the order form and that's it. And so then you also deliver all your product, right? Yes. So yeah. you, you only service, I'm assuming you're only servicing like the Southeast Michigan region. I maybe. deliver from Ann Arbor to Detroit. And then I have a very large client market, like a clientele in West Bloomfield and Sterling Heights. Mm -hmm. So what I do is the places that are, you know, further than a 30 mile radius than where, from where I'm located, I'll tell them if they can rally up enough people for me to go out there, I'd say maybe five or six orders, I'll make the trip. And so they'll gather a few of their friends, they'll send over their orders and, you know, that's it. Oh, wow. So you, you incentivize there. them to make a bulk order so that it I'm makes like, sense. come on, make it worth my while. You got to make it worth the drive. I'm tired at that time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, after, after working like 12 hours in the kitchen and delivering all around Ann Arbor and Detroit and Dearborn, the last thing I want to do is drive out to us Bloomfield, but I'll do it for the clients that, you know, really want it. And mm-hmm. I hate saying no to people. It's very hard. 
but there's only so much I can put on myself. And then on your Instagram, uh, and I'm not on TikTok myself, so mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're TikTok as well. I've, I, know, I know you've done a few different collabs uh, with other yeah. kind of foodie accounts. Um, yeah. Has that helped uh, or is it not really too much impact? So I've done a lot of big collabs, I'd say, like big ones. So I've done it with Bake My Day Mimo. She's big in the local community in Canton. She's also huge on TikTok. She has over 2 million followers on there. We did a collab on both Instagram and TikTok. Um, Instagram, I do better on. Most people do better on TikTok, but that's because they're more consistent. I'm not consistent enough for them to want to boost my post. They don't Mm -hmm. care about me sometimes. (laughs) But on Instagram... If they post it on their page, it boosts my stuff like crazy. Um, so I'm not really sure how these collabs work. I feel like it's all about timing and when they post it. And as long as they share your content, then you're good. But if I'm posting them on my page and they don't repost it, then only my followers are going to see it. No one else is really going to see that content. But does that, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that still helps with the authority that your audience has for you right? Like yeah. people, people, yeah, know, yeah. Like, people like, they're much more excited. You know, they're hmm. like, wow, he tried her pastries. She tried her pastries. I need to try them. Like uh, the golden balance. He was a big one. He has a million followers on Instagram now. And I'm sure over 3 million on TikTok. I haven't been on there in a while. So I don't know. Um, but he came by and he tried my pastries. And after I posted him on my Instagram, people went crazy. My Instagram really did go crazy because he reposted it on his story. Mm. And uh, it's the most views I've gotten on a reel on Instagram. Normally I'll get between 5,000 to 7,000 views. I got 90 point something K views on that video. And I don't know how many thousands of likes. And I was like, this is crazy. This is wild. I got to turn off my notifications today. (laughs) Too many people going crazy there. But it it does bring traffic to your page as long as the collaborators are collaborating. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think there's there's one thing that I want to highlight for the audience here, um, and you kind of you've highlighted this a few times. I just want to kind of say it back to you, and it's yeah. that you know there's two aspects to the social media game, right? And number one is attracting people to your page, right? And yeah. That the key to that is what it sounds like. For what I'm getting is consistency, collabs, uh, and just kind of putting quality. out content. Yep, quality. And then there's a second piece, is which is converting, right? Yeah. So when they get to your profile, is your content good enough where they want to try it, right? Like, does it look nice enough? Is the quality there? Yeah. Where they're like, oh man, I, I need to book an order right now. So um, that, that's kind of what I'm getting as the Amani Mahison recipe for success <laughs> on social media. Um, is that is that accurate? Yeah, you pretty much. I mean, from my advice, from my point of view, yes. I'm not the most successful person on social media, but I'm. I've had, I'd say, pretty consistent growth since I've started. Mm-hmm. And I think if I dedicated more time, if I was just you know on social media and I didn't have my sales, for sure my page would be maybe a hundred thousand followers. You know, I don't know how many videos I'd have up, but because again, it's social media is the last thing I think about when it comes to the business. First Mm -hmm. is the product and the clients, you know, making sure they get what they need. And second is promoting, showcasing, 
you know, sharing the content, sharing the process, sharing the product, all that comes after you at least take care of what needs to be done. A lot of yeah. people will tell me, uh, you know, cause I hear just post content, just keep it going. You got to just create, create, create. I'm not like that. I can't just post anything. And I know it might not be the best way to approach it, but I really do believe that the quality of your content matters. I don't think you can post just anything. I disagree with those people. And uh, I probably will never just post anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it's it's more about your perspective on it and how you decide to go about your page and what works for you. Yeah, I think, um, especially in, when we're talking about food, right? Like if the quality of your pictures and quality of the aesthetic is not there, uh, yeah. people are going to, the, the perception people will have is going to be a negative one of your, your food, right? So yeah. definitely think that, um, you know, I think people in the personal branding space, quantity is probably better than quality. But I think if you're yeah. trying to set up like a legit business where you you have a premium product, right? Like yeah. you're charging more than Costco. It's not a commodity, right? This is something that you have to go out of your way to get, right? So in yeah. that case, definitely you have to have these, what we call quality cues, right? And one of those quality cues, so for the audience that is not aware, quality cue is something that signals to the customer that this is a high quality product, right? And yes. so it could be a lot of things like for, for you, for example, when I, I've had a few of your uh, pastries myself, so it's the actual product itself, right? The, yeah. the ingredients that go into it. Um, and then there's the packaging, right? But then there's also on Instagram, right? The, the touch points you yeah. have across the brand, they're consistent and they're high quality to make sure that the audience knows that this is a high quality product and you're going to have to pay a premium yeah. for it. It's not just something you can get at Costco, right? Yeah. No offense to Costco. I feel like we're going to get, it's not just add water Costco. and throw in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I know next thing I want to talk about is you do a lot of seasonal things, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, you mentioned earlier, you're doing a Thanksgiving thing. Uh, I'm yeah. assuming you have a plan for Christmas and the holiday season that's coming up, right? Yeah. Like, why is it that you do that? Uh, and then what, you know, kind of, can you walk us through the strategy here and, and what kind of yeah. inspired you to do that? Yeah. So it's not really so much inspiration. It's more about the space that I have. I don't have a bakery. I don't have a walk-in fridge. I don't have a freezer that I can store my product in. I don't have any of that stuff. So really I need to think through what I would like to sell that month. And then I need to make sure I don't um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess just overbuy my, my produce and my product. You know, for example, I would go through maybe four to six gallons of milk a week, you know, minimum. I can only buy two gallons at a time because I don't have the storage space to put six gallons in my fridge right now. You know, living in a, a home that's still full of my family, I don't have all of my own space. And so really space was my biggest issue with uh, me starting. And so I wanted to be a little different and I wanted to keep experimenting with new products and try new things, you know, expand my, my palette and expand everyone else's palette along the way. And so I was like, you know what, month to month, I'm going to switch up my specials. I'll keep my consistent menu, you know, plain croissants, chocolate croissants, and I do a special Zatar croissant. Um, and so I kept those consistent month to month and people like that. I got consistent orders for them. 
But then I would switch up my specials and each month I'd add a new flavor. And the next month I take it off and add a different flavor. And people would get so angry the next month that the other flavor wasn't there. And what people would do is they'd order the first week and they would try a little bit of everything. And then I'd see their order come back on the last week of the month because I would do weekly menus or one month of the same menu, but weekly orders. So it sounds like one thing you're doing not out of, I mean, it sounds like you're doing it out of necessity rather than, um, yeah. you know, something that you want to do, but is, is constricting supply. And it sounds like it increases yeah. the demand for those products even yeah. more, right? Which is and another you know something, thing that- something that a lot of people do is they'll take orders and make to order. I didn't do that at all. From the beginning, I refused to do that. I've worked in bakeries where they'll make to order or they'll make X amount and then they'll have such a such a large amount of waste at the end of the day. I used to see them at the end of the days of bakeries taking all of the pastries out of the case and all of the extra bread and throwing it in the dumpster in the back. And so I used to take them when I worked at the bakeries and I would go to soup kitchens. I'd go to the mosques or churches and I'd drop them off there and donate them to food pantries. Um, And I hated how much they wasted and I never want to be that way. And so I told myself, how much do you want to make a week? Not profit wise, product wise, because it's all about the labor and the time too. So if it takes me three days to make one batch of croissants, then I need to really keep an eye on my time. I'm spending six days in the kitchen, you know, majority of the time just mixing and shaping dough. And then that last day of the week, baking it all. And baking is a whole process of it on its own. Um, and so I would set myself up a number of croissants I would make that week, Danishes I would make that week, and I would only sell that amount week to week. And if I sold out, I sold out. There's nothing I can do. I can't make an extra batch. It's impossible. Mm. And I still do that till now. I'll pick a number. I set my mind to that number. I post it up online and I just run the sales until I hit that number. So essentially you run your business like it, like Supreme drops, right? Like, I guess, yeah, (laughs) we we have, you know, X number of, uh, you know, this type of pastry. And so what that does, that's another quality cue actually for the audience that's listening is that, um, you know, when there is a limited amount of a product uh, and, and you run out and that is signaling to the demand. audience, that is, yeah, yeah, exactly. That this is something that is higher quality. Um, you can't just get it everywhere. Uh, I can actually it. give you a great example of it. Um, my Zatad and Lebne croissants are my best seller. I only use Zatad from overseas. I refuse to use Zatad from here. They add citric acid and a whole bunch of other stuff to it to make weight. Um, so I prefer to only get my zatar from overseas and it makes all the difference in the taste of the croissant. I ran out of zatar and I couldn't get any from overseas for a minute. So I took them off my menu and it raised hell on my page. <laughs> I had people DMing me. Why did you take zatar off? Why did you take zatar off? And I'm like, I don't have zatar to make it right now. So I took it off for a month. No big hmm. deal. I put it back on for the month of November and it was the first thing to sell out. Mm, that's awesome. Out, gone. <laughs> yeah. I think the really important like business lesson here too is that, you know, it helps you control your costs. Now you don't have a lot of waste, yeah. right? And then yes. your, your profit margins are also increasing. Uh, and then yes. you, you could even charge a higher price because you clearly have the demand for it, right? So yeah. there's a, 
like there's a lot of business sense in operating the way you're operating. So mm-hmm. uh, thank you for sharing that. I have a couple yeah. things that I, I still wanted to ask. Um, I know we're almost coming up on time, but um, just, a, just a couple of things. So one thing I did want to talk about is I know you've done pop-ups. Yeah. Right. And I want to want to talk about just the impact of like, so, so how are, number one, how are you thinking through, I want to do a pop-up this is who I need to collab with. Like, you know, like you need a place to actually do it and all that stuff. And then number two is yeah. like, what kind of impact do you see? Uh, does it help with awareness or is it already yeah. people that are already, uh, you know, people that know you coming? Yeah. Um, just so I'm laughing just because uh, my experience with pop-ups has been funny each time. So the very first time I decided to do a pop-up was during Ramadan in April, this past April. Um, I saw everyone in Dearborn doing these food trucks, you know, everyone's going out for suhoor to eat their breakfast, getting ready for their days. I decided to do suhoor deliveries. So I would go out and I would deliver my pastries from midnight, uh, right after Tarawih till about two, three in the morning. And, uh, I was like, this is exhausting and I don't want to keep driving this late. Like I'm fasting all day. And then on top of fasting all day, I'm baking as soon as I break fast. Right after that, I'm packing my orders and driving all night. Like it was just 18 hour days, again, all while I was fasting. So I was like, I'm just going to do a pop-up for the last week. And I said, I don't want to do it in Dearborn because everyone in Dearborn is already doing all this stuff. I'd rather do it in Ann Arbor. So I got into contact with someone who owned a coffee shop. He's also Muslim, fortunately. He owns Drip House in Ann Arbor great guy, great coffee shop. Um, And he agreed to let me do the pop-up there, made the flyer, posted it on Instagram. And, you know, that was it. It was my first big event. I made, I normally was doing about 18 dozen a week. I made 40 dozen pastries for that pop-up. And my family was helping me take everything out to the cars. And as I'm doing that, I can hear them at the dinner table a few of my cousins and some uncles, and they're like, why did she make so much? No one's going to show up. Um, Why'd she do it in Ann Arbor? Now, really, no one's going to show up. And, you know, they're saying all this to me, and I'm getting ready for this event, and my nerves are running. And I'm like, did I overbake? Is no one going to show up? I don't know what's going to happen. I got there, and the event was supposed to be three to four hours long. I sold out within an hour of Mm. everything. I had people posting, complaining that it was supposed to be open for X amount of time. And I sold out within the first hour of it. And you're you're a master of constricting supply. Oh my (laughs) gosh. It was just, it was the craziest and best feeling ever. It really was just being able to prove them wrong that way. And it's really all about marketing. It's about you posting it, you sharing it. You, I went out of my way to message specific people that I knew lived in Ann Arbor and lived in that area. And I told them, hey, bring your friends out here, you know, tell your family about it. If you wouldn't mind posting this, I would really appreciate it. And I can give you like a free coffee at the event with your pastry. You know, you got to be a little accommodating with it too. You can't just go out and ask specifically to uh, people you want to collaborate with. Hey, can you do this collaboration with me and give nothing in return? You have to offer something at the same time. Don't go in empty-handed. And that's really how you're going to make the difference. You got to promote. You got to talk to people. And I did that one on my own. I didn't have anyone with me at that pop-up. So there was no reassurance. 
was just a, a chance I took, and I'm glad I took it. You said that in order to get people there, you're messaging people individually and mm-hmm. you know convincing them to come. I think a lot of people think that, hey, let me just post it on social media on my my page and people will show up. Uh, and I think it's really Not important. everyone's going to see it. Yep. Not everyone's going to see it. When or I even if they see it on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, even if they see it, like maybe there's like, oh, okay, like whatever the people will show up. I don't really need to be there. Yeah. Right. A but lot of you, people think they can just share it on their stories and just keep sharing it on your stories. People are still going to scroll right past it. When I post something on Instagram, I post it with the intention and the thought that no one's going to see it. That way mm-hmm. I'm never disappointed. That way, if it exceeds and hits millions of views, I'm like, wow, great. If it hits 5,000 views, I'm still like, wow, great. <laughs> you know, either way, you're you're not going to just don't go in with high expectations. You just got to really push yourself. You know, you got to you got to be the one to do the work. You mm-hmm. got to be the one to make sure people see your product. People aren't just going to see it because you post it. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. Um, what I wanted to ask you, final couple of things is uh, mm-hmm. forward-looking plans. Are you going to open up a bakery anytime soon? Or I'm are you hoping gonna... so. It's been so hard finding a location post-COVID. Right now, rent is at an all-time high. Um, also not super experienced in the business field. So I find it you know, hard to ask the right questions sometimes. And when I don't ask the right questions, I'm often taken advantage of. You know, people will automatically up their prices from like $15 a square foot to $20 a square foot. And I'm just like, Mm. I may not know much about business, but I know enough to know that you're, uh, you're trying to hustle me. So, uh, definitely do your research, make sure you know what you're talking about because people can tell people can definitely tell when you're not 100% about what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I guess we'll be looking for the Not Your Basic Batch bakery coming soon. Um, and we'll I can tell you now, there won't be a storefront. People are pushing me for a storefront. I'm keeping it online and I'm keeping it weekend sales for uh, as long as I can. <laughs> I mean, that's a good way to keep your costs low, right? And if it's yeah, working, if it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. To, you know, it's not even that. A lot of people will see, okay, wow, look how successful she is. She's, you know, selling out week to week. Why doesn't she just open the space? I'm not going to open the space yet because I don't have the people to back me up on it. You know, one thing I don't want to do is open up a bakery and get stuck in the back because as much as it's great to have a good product, you still got to market it. And no one's going to market your product like you. So you need to make sure you have a team that's willing to work as hard as you are to back you up and help uplift you to the next level. So it's mm-hmm. people that are going to help elevate your product too. people that are going to have the same passion. You know, it's very hard to find people who are passionate about what you're passionate about, but they're out there. You just got to be patient. You got to be consistent and you got to build a good foundation before you move on. And that's why I refuse to open the storefront until I have maybe three or four more people that can do what I'm doing behind the scenes. So if you're listening and you're into baking and you're super passionate (laughs) about it, uh, please hit Amani up. She's looking for (laughs) talented bakers. I want to close with just any tips and general best practices you have for people that are looking to start their, you know, small business, but haven't started just yet. Um, Just be ready to dedicate all of your time to it. There's no break, (laughs) you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary V. I listen to him often and he talks about how he sleeps every night. He gets his six to eight hours every night, 
But when you're first starting your business, they don't talk about how you get maybe four hours a night if you're lucky. You know, if it's something that you want to see a lot of growth quickly with, you're not going to sleep much, but it's a hustle that's definitely rewarding. Um, just again, be ready to dedicate your time and all your energy. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Manny. It was a pleasure talking to you uh, and learning Thank from you. you so. uh, and for the audience that uh, is not familiar with Not Your Basic Badge, where can they uh, find you and, and make orders and stuff like that? So you can find me and make orders through Instagram. Um, I do have a link tree that has the link to uh, my order forms. But again, I'm only one person and it's hard to get everything done at once. Um, but Instagram is probably the best way to find me, not your basic batch. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we'll leave the link in the, uh, the show notes. Honestly, what surprised me most about this episode is the direct correlation that Amani sees between posting consistently and sales. I knew social media was powerful, but I always thought it was more of like an indirect powerful now, as always, I have my key takeaways from this episode, but before we get into that, I want to share a clip from our episode with Mahir Huck on the resurgence of board games. I think that's the biggest thing. I can play this game a couple times and not get tired of it because it's a pretty quick game. Hmm. Uh, Catan, now I'm going to be honest, like I love this game. We play it all the time, but whenever we play it, it's just once that night, maybe twice, but after the first one, I get such a headache um, because it's just so much shouting, yelling, and it <laughs> takes a long time, especially if you're playing with Yusuf. Yusuf, if you're hearing this, you take forever. Um, but this game, it's just, it's quick, and I feel satisfied if I win, you know? If you enjoyed this discussion with Amani, I am sure you'll also enjoy the episode with Mahir. Check it out wherever you're listening to this right now. It is episode number 24. Now here are my key takeaways. Number one, people want to try before they buy. If you're trying to introduce a new product to a market, something that is different, using free samples to hook in potential customers can be a powerful strategy. And number two, understand and employ the quality cues in your space. If you want to raise the perceived value of your product so people are willing to pay more, you have to signal to them that it's a quality product. Each market will have its own unique cues that signal quality to the customers. In the case of Not Your Basic Batch, Amani signals quality to her clients with high quality ingredients, high quality pictures and videos on her Instagram page, and custom branded packaging. And that is all for this week. If you enjoyed this discussion, please consider leaving a review and sharing with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.